Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lafondra looking to get close side of Vaughn. Lafondra away from Davis. 3-1 running. Three points running. Hello and welcome to another Elm Park Royals preview podcast. Uh, we're joined this week by Benji from the Reading Chronicle. How are you doing, Benji? I'm doing very well. Been a, been a fairly long week, but I feel like all the weeks are long these days. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely no shortage of Reading content to write about uh today you were in a press conference with uh velco how, how did that go it, it was certainly interesting it was i think hands down the longest press conference i've ever been a part of it was about 35 minutes filled with a a just constant awkward questions i guess about his own future about kia jarabjan's role at the club about sort of the bad form injuries, etc., And, you know, it, it was one of those cases where the reason the press conference was so long was because there are so many outstanding questions that need answered. And the problem is, as, as I kind of told him uh, while I was about to ask a question that I knew he wouldn't want to answer, is that this is the only forum we have as either journalists or as fans, etc., to ask any sort of question. Is It's only him. You know, we don't get any sort of... Um, medium with uh, with the CEO. We, we, if you ask the club a question, they tell you no comment. So it unfortunately puts so much weight and pressure on Paunovic to answer all these difficult questions. And it shouldn't be on him. But the sad reality is that there's not really anyone else to ask. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, Star had their... I can't remember the exact term for it. Sorry, Star. Uh, but they had a meeting with the club uh, last week. And the meeting notes should be out relatively soon. But in the last meeting they had with the club, and uh, we were talking about this on Twitter, Benji, like the club even raised the fact that they almost don't need anyone to talk because yep. the manager's a good communicator. And yep. that might be well and good, but he's not meant to be communicating stuff, you know, that he is currently having to do because there's no absolutely. one else to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's such an uncomfortable position for him to be in. And he, he said at some point today, I mean, because in the recent Guardian article about sort of the problems at Reading, they had a line where Kia Jarabjan had denied having any sort of influence at the club. And then anyone you talk to says the opposite, as well as Paunovic today said that he's a friend of the owner, He that Paunovic himself has had conversations with him. So, you know, I asked the question, how can it be the case that he has said he's had he's got no influence, yet you're having conversations with him? The owner's clearly on good terms with him, and he just like essentially said he doesn't have an answer to that. And it's kind of fair that he shouldn't have to have an answer to that. That's not his 
that's not that's not his job is to worry about sort of what's going on with this agent who is or isn't involved officially or or not officially he should have to worry about what's going on on the pitch and i you know we can get into a whole sort of conversation about it, but it's fair to wonder, I guess, both ways. If A, he would still be in a job if he wasn't this politician for the club, which uh, was something I also noticed in that statement. And it's also fair to wonder if he'd be doing a better job if he didn't have to be answering for all these absurd things that should be over his head. So I think, you know, it can go both ways. Yeah, I mean, today, especially, he was having to answer questions about his own future, which yeah. I get to in a certain extent, managers are going to have to answer those questions. But it, it just feels like, every, like when every question about his future is directed at him, you can understand why he gets a little bit bristly in those press conferences. Totally. And I think, you know, I, I've, I've dealt with Lee Bowyer was a previous manager that I dealt with and had he been asked some of the questions that Paunovic has been asked over the last three weeks, I'm sure he would have just walked off. Um, Nigel Atkins, who obviously is a former Reading manager, he would have absolutely not answered some of the questions that were posed to Paunovic today. So I really... You know, he's, he, I, I don't think he's necessarily done a great job this season. And I think that almost every other manager in almost every other situation wouldn't have survived the Kidderminster and Fulham results. But I do have respect for him as a person because he's dealt with incredibly difficult things. And whether or not you feel he should have been given the job in the first place, whether or not you think he should keep the job, he does stand there and take an incredible amount of heat. And I think he, you know, that's admirable in some ways. Yeah, 100%. Like, I think everyone, when we talk about Panovic, says that he comes across as like a, a decent enough guy. And I mean, the referees at the weekend might not feel that way. But on the whole, I think that you can see that. Um, but let's talk about, you know, Reading as, as a football team for a little bit, I guess, oh, before maybe circling back to some of this. Um, obviously, Reading uh, lost 4-3 at the weekend. Um, but and I know people don't sometimes don't like you taking positives out of losses, but th there were some positives in there. Yeah, I, I think definitely. I mean, admittedly, it's it's easy to find positives, I think, when there's been so many negatives in the preceding weeks. But Reading are a team who, in almost every single attacking statistical category, they rank either last or close to last, whether that's things like expected goals or shots, shots on target, etc., etc. Their chance creation and general attacking play this season has been almost non-existent. And while obviously defensively on Saturday, it was an absolute... I was, I was going to use a term I probably shouldn't say on, on camera, but it was unbelievably bad, pretty much as bad as you can get. I mean, that first half an hour, Huddersfield were just slicing through them any single time they wanted to. I thought it was going to be um, something like the 7-0 against Fulham because it looked like they were going to score every time they got the ball. But going forward, I think it was an entirely different Reading performance than we've seen in a long time, at least for the first 45, 60 minutes, where they didn't just score off of this one crazy um, random chance like Junior Hoylett whipping it into the top corner against Derby or from a set piece, even though they did get their third, obviously, from a set piece. There was some sort of sustained attacks and some actual sustained pressure, and I haven't really seen that much or at all in the last couple of months. So I think that was definitely a positive because while Reading are going to have to defend a lot better if they want to stay up, they're also going to have to score some goals and they looked a lot more likely to score goals in that performance against Huddersfield. And hopefully that can carry forward. Yeah. And like, I think you kind of have to contextualize it as well in the sense that Huddersfield are pushing for the playoffs. And obviously 
as Paunovic has sort of mentioned, um, January was going to be hard. And these aren't the games that are going to keep reading up. Those games are definitely coming in February, like the games that we have to be winning and picking up points in. So if we're, if we're working towards that in these games where we've got players back, that does have to be a positive thing. Obviously, this weekend, there's no Junior Hoyler and who knows what's going on with Liam Moore. He's gone off to Jamaica, but I think he's being assessed for an injury there. Or uh, I'm just going to leave it because that, that's a whole minefield. Um, but would you expect a fairly similar team? Or do you think that because QPR are fourth and we're playing away, we might go a little bit more defensive? I, th I think my personal opinion is that I would like to see Paunovic stick with a, a front two, probably stick with the same front two of Pushkas and Zhao who started against Huddersfield. I wrote a whole article this week about how they sort of complement each other because Zhao is genuinely a striker who likes to be in and around the box and actually do the things that a striker likes to do, whereas Pushkas is this crazy random player who goes all over the place and essentially can't be constrained by tactics. And it oftentimes doesn't work, especially when he's on his own but I think it actually can work quite well when you've got someone like Lucas Zhao who obviously is going to take a lot of the attention of the, the defense and obviously occupy at least one center back maybe two center backs which then gives Puskas more space to kind of roam all over the place and pick the ball up in interesting positions kind of like the first goal against Huddersfield where he drew a defender out came really um, came really deep to get the ball played Baba Raman through and it ended up opening a huge amount of space but my gut is that he probably is not going to do that. Um, he he was asked today in the press conference sort of about the benefits of, of having two up front. And what he kind of focused on as opposed to the attacking, uh, the additional attacking potency was the sort of what you lose defensively from that. And I think, you know, it is fair, I guess, to come away with that after you've conceded four goals and it could have been more. Um, but I still think, you know, it, it, it's a tough one because are you really going to beat QPR by just parking the bus? I mean, maybe that is the way to beat QPR, but I just can't see this Reading team holding out for 90 minutes. I feel like they're going to have to score goals. And I do think that front two gives you a slightly better chance of getting those goals. But ultimately, you know, it, it's one of those cases where you patch one problem, it's going to create another problem. You, you patched up another problem, it's going to create another problem. I mean, on Saturday, you started with 5-3-2 or some variation of that with uh, Josh Lawrence as the third center back. And then he had to change it after 20, 25 minutes because Danny Drinkwater and the midfield were just being totally overran. He had to move Lawrence back into, uh, into center midfield alongside Drinkwater. And then what that did is it made that Yadam and Baba Rahman, who had started the game as wingbacks, were now fullbacks. And I think personally that Baba Rahman is a significantly worse fullback than he is a wingback. I think Yadam is pretty consistent wherever he plays. But it's, it's that sort of thing where, you know, you fix the problem of the central midfield being overran too easily. But now suddenly you've got a left back who would much rather go forward than defend. And now that's going to be a hole. So you try to fix that hole. It's going to create cause a hole somewhere else. The fact is Reading are going to have holes. This team isn't good enough. They're going to have holes no matter what he does. But I do think it'll be a more defensive approach than we saw at Huddersfield or against Huddersfield. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, it's difficult because obviously when, when you see us concede goals like that, you kind of, I think Jordan was saying this in the post-match pod, you almost understand why Panovic is played in a more defensive way at other times. Um, equally, it, that result on, on Saturday felt, it felt odd because on another day, I think it probably could have been like a 1-1 or, or maybe even a 0-0. Like the deflected goals, like the um, 
Danny Ward's strike from outside the box on another day that goes into Rose Ed. Um, so I'm not sure that Reading were, they weren't good defensively. And especially, as you say, in that first half an hour, there was definitely a problem that needed to be fixed. But I'm not, I'm not sure that we were as bad as, as the scoreline suggests. So maybe with a back four that could work. Although obviously um, uh, QPR play with a back three and therefore a front two and whatnot. So that that again might be another thing that comes into play as to whether we we go to a a back three ourselves or whether we stick with that that uh, mm. flat four. Like, um, is there any? I think I know Ajari is back um, mm. or at least back in contention. Uh, but the other injury news doesn't sound so great. Yeah, I'm. I wouldn't a hundred percent be. I, I wouldn't a hundred percent guarantee that Ov actually will be back because we were kind of being told um, before the Huddersfield game that it was looking like he was going to be back for that one, and then obviously he missed that one as well. Panovic did say that the expectation is that he'll be back in the squad, so you know, hopefully that does end up happening. It sounds like. For the most part, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one because I think you've got some very positive injury news and some very negative injury news. In the positive case, they won't be ready for this game. But, I mean, Yaku Mehta and Tom McIntyre are obviously getting a lot closer from their long-term injuries. It sounds like, you know, it, it, I think it could be the type of situation that if this was the last game of the season and Reading needed to win to stay up, that one or both of them could be in the squad. But it's a case of, you know, both have had significant injury problems. Both have had significant injury problems this season and in past seasons. You don't really want to rush them back and cause that to be worse, especially with something like an ACL tear that uh, that that Yakumete had that can oftentimes lead to re-injury. So I think they'll get a little bit more time with the under-23s before probably coming back. I think, you know, that massive game against Peterborough in the middle of the month, that's kind of when I'd be looking at sort of targeting for someone like Mete to come back. But ultimately, it's going to take time for him to get back to anything like his best. Obviously, the really just disappointing from a human point of view today was the news that Felipe Araruna is going to be out for the rest of the season and six months. I mean, it didn't even sound like a guarantee that he'd be back for the preseason that he next plays in with whatever club that ends up being, whether it's Reading or someone else. Um, it was other than that, it was a bit confusing because he was giving all these injury timelines, but it was my understanding while he was talking that the injury timelines were from when the players got injured. So four weeks for Alan Khalilovic, he in theory should be back about now. He injured, he got, he was he went off against Kidderminster. Scott Dan also, he said approximately four weeks. So he should be coming back pretty soon. Um, but ultimately I think the only one of the injured group who has a chance for Saturday is, is Ovi Ajari. I think the rest are, still a little ways away. But I, I feel like by the end of February, if no more injuries come, and I realize having said that, I've probably totally jinxed it and we'll see a bunch of injuries now. But if no more injuries come, I think it'll be a pretty pretty good, a pretty deep squad or at least a much deeper squad come the end of February with the only sort of more long-term injuries being uh, Femi Aziz, Dejan Tetek, and Felipe Araruna. Yeah, and uh, 10 days after this QPR game to get players fit um, yeah. ahead of Bristol City is a positive at, at this this stage of the season. Uh, mm -hmm. I sort of said at the time that that going out of the FA Cup was a good thing, um, but may, maybe not in the way that it actually happened. But <laughs> hopefully I'm not wrong and that that extra few days does, does help us. Um, obviously, 
there has been some news on the transfer front for Reading, uh, bringing in goalkeeper Carl Hine from Arsenal. Um, he hasn't played much senior football, but he has actually made, I think, 10 appearances for Estonia or something. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how deep their goalkeeping ranks are there, but that sounds good anyway. Um, Poundovic in his press conference said that he we haven't made assurances that he'll start, but obviously Southwood has been at fault for a few goals recently. Do you throw him straight into the starting 11 or would you wait and see? Me personally? Or, or what I think will happen. I'm going to say you personally, because Charles, I can guess Poundovich is sometimes different. <laughs> yeah, personally, I would stick with Southwood. I, I mean, he has made mistakes recently. There was obviously the big mistake against uh, Derby, which probably ended up costing the two points. A few weeks before that, he made a mistake against Nottingham Forest. No, it was against... Uh, Hull. Hull, exactly. Um, and then... He made, uh, obviously, the mistake against Huddersfield where they wanted a foul. But ultimately, I think he deserves the opportunity to sort of push through this rough patch of form and show that he either can or can't hack it. And, you know, if the rough patch of form continues for another two, three, four weeks, and at some point you do have to look to make a change. But I personally believe he's been good enough and consistent enough behind a really oftentimes horrific defense that he deserves sort of the time and credit to figure out you know, how we can make the improvements and the adjustments to sort of show again that form that he was showing. I mean, we wouldn't even have this conversation a month and a half ago. So it's just, it's sometimes frustrating, I think, how quick, how short memories are in in sport and in football. And I get it because every single game is so unbelievably crucial and every single point is so unbelievably crucial. But still, I think he deserves sort of the opportunity to play his way back into form. I also think, you know, you bring in a young goalkeeper who's never played really at the professional level other than those caps for Estonia that you mentioned. And I mean, what, what does that say to the squad when you've got this 24-year-old academy graduate who has broken into the first team this season, has displaced the experienced number one keeper in Rafael? He's come in, he's mostly been very good up until this sort of series of mistakes. I think it sends kind of a bad message that uh, about how sort of replaceable players are. And, you know, maybe considering how bad the team has been on the pitch, maybe that is a message he needs to send. But to me, Southwood doesn't feel like the right target for that. But still, I, I, I can't believe that the that uh, Carl Hine has been brought in to sit on the bench. It seems like it would be crazy for Arsenal to sanction that. It would be uh, just, I, I think if you're going to do that, why not bring in an experienced goalkeeper who can sort of mentor Southwood? I, you have to believe he's been brought into play, and maybe that is this weekend. But if not, I think it's probably pretty soon, unless Southwood has an incredible game. Yeah, I mean, Southwood... When he made the first mistake or two, I was kind of like, well, this is the time where the team have to bail him out rather than the other way around. And the, the team didn't step up as... Obviously, Southwood's made the mistake, but you, you'd you like to think that the rest of the team can actually help him and, and not lose points every time he's making a mistake because the amount of points that he won earlier in the season, uh, like with that kind of incredible save um, deep, late on at Fulham... Uh, it's just, you know, yeah, you just you just want the rest of the team to help him out as well. So, yeah, I think it's probably a little bit early to drop him, but I agree with basically everything you've said. Carl Hines probably not come here to sit on the bench. Um, and if he does, that might sour our relationship with Arsenal a little bit. Although we 
talk about the bad things that Kia does. Um, this this might be one of the um, one of the good things. But uh, I'd, again, opening up a whole can of worms there. Um, we've also heard that um, Reading might be looking at bringing in Reese Williams on loan. Um, I think Sky Sports were reporting it as well as a couple of other places. Do you think that they are looking for like a centre-back or or try, uh, again, going back to Panovic's press conference, he said that he was trying to get someone else in but um, and, and still talking to Andy Carroll all the time. So it's not inconceivable that there will be an arrival or two. Yeah, yeah, I don't, well, I unless you count Andy Carroll as one of the two, I wouldn't expect two, but I Well, do. I was, yeah. It would be, I mean, that would be a fantastic signing if they could uh, get Andy Carroll. I, I'm happy to talk about that in a moment. But I do, um, yeah, it sounds like from everything I've heard that they're going after a center back. Um, it sounds like they've sort of made an offer to a center back. I don't have a name, unfortunately, um, but that the center back is kind of looking at his options before making a decision. I know we've heard that before, and oftentimes that, uh, that doesn't lead to good things. And it's why sort of I'm... It's, it's definitely optimistic that they're, I mean, it's definitely a positive that they're actually looking to get a deal over the line, but it's why I'm not 100% optimistic about it, because it sounds to me like there aren't really backup options being looked at. It kind of sounds like it's this guy, whoever the guy is. Again, I don't, I don't know the name, so I can't help anyone out on that, but it sounds like if they don't get the guy that there might not be a backup option there. So it's either him or no one for that central uh, defender. And then obviously Andy Carroll is the one that, you know, for months the contract has been on the table pretty much since he arrived, the extension has been on the table. And it, it just seems like, you know, he's sort of waiting out his options. A lot of business gets done in the last couple of days of the window and obviously he doesn't necessarily have to be in a rush because he's not contracted to a club at the moment so if he were to take it into February then that wouldn't actually change his situation because clubs just might become more desperate so you know Andy Carroll I think he's got every right to kind of wait out his options he gave as much as he possibly could for Reading in that short period. Obviously, everyone would have liked it to be longer. I mean, he probably would have signed for longer had the club offered him that at the time. I mean, he even played the day that his contract was expiring and scored against Middlesbrough. So I feel like it's hard not to give credit to Andy Carroll for sort of the attitude and the way that he and, and what he showed. But obviously, it would be a big boost to bring him back in part because of how he plays and just in part because he really was one of the players on the pitch that you could count on to kind of give everything and actually step up in difficult situations. So, you know, best case scenario, a center back and a and Andy Carroll comes in. Worst case scenario, neither of them come in. Yeah, I mean, maybe the backup option for that center back is trying to Fitly and more back into the team, but uh, we won't know, will we? And and also, like as you kind of mentioned earlier, like there's a lot of injury guys coming back now. So even if Andy Carroll doesn't come back in, and we've got Zhao available, we got Puskas. Um, okay, maybe not a lone striker, but hey, um, if we if we're going to play two up top, maybe that'll that'll work. And you know, Yaku Mate coming back soon-ish, um, as well as Scott Dan, maybe. These guys, they're not as crucial as they were kind of four weeks ago when Reading really had nobody. Mm. Yeah, I mean, as that this is what's so frustrating, I guess, about Reading's season so far is that it feels like every time guys start to come back, other guys go down and a fully fit squad is actually 
I don't think it's fantastic. I mean, I, th- I know a lot of people feel that it's either top 10, top six worthy of fully fit squad. I don't think it's nearly that good, but I do think it's better than a relegation battle or better than actually getting relegated a fully fit squad. So, you know, there's, there is some reason for optimism that this healthier squad can do it. I just worry that, you know, once momentum starts to hit in a negative way, it's kind of hard to pull yourself out of that, especially when you've got a full squad pretty much of players who are out of contract at the end of the season. And I I believe for the most part that they care about their careers and that they want to do the best job that they can to sort of, um, you know, get their next move. But I also believe that it's not necessarily the same as people who really care about Reading Football Club and really care about what happens to them at the end of the season. I, I think, you know, even if it's subconscious, I think there probably is a slight bit of disconnect when it comes to having all these players out of contract. I mean, Poundovich says they're all committed, and obviously he's going to say that, and I'm sure they would all say the same, and I'm sure they would all believe the same, but maybe there is that little bit of difference between, you know, putting in that last-ditch tackle or running that extra three steps to make up the ground, whatever it may be. It's it's hard for me to 100% believe that all of these players who are out of contract have the same sort of commitment and desire to make sure that Reading stay up as players who would be signed for three more years or players who would have already spent five years at the club. But perhaps that's cynical of me. Yeah. Wow. What an upbeat way to sort of end a podcast. <laughs> I mean, it, it is difficult, though, because you you got to say that. But you, we've got Southwood in the team. We've got Holmes. Yeah. Uh, you know, McIntyre's coming back. Um, I, OK, Liam Moore <laughs> probably isn't the best example, but he's been here a long time as well. Puskas and Zhao are both signed up past this season. Yeah. So, like, that, I, I feel like a lot of the time we get in this spiral talking about players that don't care about the club because they're all out of contract in the summer or whatever, which is obviously true. But I do think that there are guys that either have, like, have grown up as Reading fans, in the case of yeah. Holmes or, or McIntyre, um, or, you know, you would hope <laughs> do have the club's best interest at heart. Yeah. Or as you say, even in a selfish manner where, mm-hmm. you know, that they're going to be the ones playing in league one. If we, if we don't get out of this. Um, yeah. And I think just, just to add to that, I think that Yahoo Mete is going to bring so much to the team in part because of his play, but also just because of, of his energy. I mean, this is someone who has given so much to get to this point where he's ahead of schedule and actually coming back soon. I mean, the amount of work that he's put in, he's refused to take holidays because he's worried that it would set him back further. And, you know, that's that's the kind of energy that I think is going to rub off on the rest of the squad because obviously he is a very upbeat, engaging guy as well. So, you know, I do think that as the squad gets healthier with players who, as you said, someone like Tom McIntyre as well, who I'm sure cares a lot about the club as well as his own career. I mean, as well as being tied down till I think it's 2024, he's obviously grown up as a Reading fan and this is what he wants to be doing. He wants to be playing for Reading. So I do think, you know, having that little bit more of an influx of players who have just that little bit of extra reason to care that little bit extra more, I think is just going to be a good thing. And I unfortunately don't know that Leo Moore is one of those players right now. No, maybe maybe not. Fair fair point. You've not actually ever seen Yaku Mate play, Never. I take it, as of yet. It is an enjoyable experience. The, the man plays football like, you know, it's his last game every time. So I do look forward to having Yaku back. He is such a, you know, 
character really like a bit of an overused term but um and it, what you see on instagram is basically what you get on a football field so so it'll be it'll be good and obviously he's also an excellent player which which definitely helps um do you have a score prediction for saturday i do have a score prediction you'll you'll be able to sense that i'm not quite as optimistic as i usually am because i'm only going one one this time See, I was, uh, yeah, I was talking to the QPR fan up next and Reading QPR games seem to go one of two ways, either quite a dull 1-0, like Thursday night, dreary, wet, cold game, or it's always like a 2-2 or a 3-3. So I'm going to go 2-2 and hope that, you know, Reading nab a point away at fourth in the table. And I'd take it, I'd take yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It would It'd be a good day out as well. T- two whole goals yeah. to celebrate. <laughs> Uh, uh, (laughs) yeah it would be it would be uh and i assume the commute isn't too bad for you are you still in london no much much nicer than pretty much any of these other away games i mean that that middlesbrough like six and a half hour trip or whatever it was was not as good but just in london this time so much easier yeah, I mean, Middlesbrough probably would have been a little bit nicer had we clung on at the end. But that's uh, let's Absolutely. not dwell on that either. Uh, so many days where that could be said. Anyway, Benji, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. Uh, up next, <laughs> thanks, mate. We got uh, Clive from Loft for Words. I'm here with Clive uh, as always when it comes to QPR from Loft for Words. How are you doing, Clive? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Well, I've just had two hours with HMRC, so I'm not good, but. Uh... Very nice to be here with you talking about something that isn't tax. Yeah, I mean, uh, not the most enjoyable topic, admittedly, but um, <laughs> Q- QPR, I think when we talked last time, obviously uh, the, the game earlier in the season was fairly, fairly early on. Um, a lot of the pre-season kind of talk had QPR in or around the playoffs. You're doing pretty much exactly what people thought you'd do, and... Um, I don't know. Is do you go under the radar? I'm not sure, but you've you've had a good season so far. Yeah, it's been really good, uh, and it is it is online with the expectations for the for for from the summer. Um, we finished last season really strongly and signed the loan players that had helped us do that on permanent deals and and put a few other transfer deals together. More summer business than I think we expected to do, um, and yeah. I thought I thought we'd be good enough to to push towards the six, and we have we've been there basically every week so far. Hopefully, we can sustain it through the through the second half of the season. Um, going under the radar suit, suits us. I mean, like I say, expectations were pretty high this season, but the budgets that the other teams up there are, are competing with compared to ours is a, a massive. And you look at some of the players that Bournemouth have been linked with this week and. You hear Scott Parker talking about how his squad is thin. You know, he's got a £25 million midfielder kicking around who's worth more than our squad twice over, probably. So, um, yeah, I thought we'd we'd compete for the six, and we are. Whether we'll have enough to maintain it and then get over the line at the end, I'm not sure. Um, But it's been an enjoyable season so far. Because the last five games, you're you're top of the form table. Um, Is there any hope of pushing for the automatic places? Because... Back in back at the first game, I think everyone assumed that Fulham and Bournemouth had those locked down. But now there is a real gap there for you to sneak into. There's definitely hope because we're we're well in touch. We've we've closed that gap. Um, we played really well against West Brom, but other than that, the performances 
haven't been that brilliant. We've been sort of scraping results and from, um, well, not playing particularly well. We did that at Bristol City and at Birmingham and at Coventry. Um, we've won our last four or five away games on the trot. I think five away wins out of six. And I, I can't really say that we played well in any of them. So that's a good habit to have, um, getting the results out of the games, even when, you, even when you're not performing uh, as well as you can. So that's a positive sign. Uh, and the, the gap is is there and, you know, Blackburn have shown what happens if you put results together, we're putting results together. Now we've got a run of fixtures coming up the next dozen games. Um, we play a lot of teams in the bottom half of the table. And then obviously that means that we've got a really tough end to the season. But uh, we've got both the games with West Brom out of the way, both the games with Bournemouth out of the way. We've only got Fulham to play at home. Um so hopefully avoid a 7-0. Um, and yeah, so yeah, we're in with, we're in with a, we've got a puncher's chance. I, I, I'm not sure we're, we're good enough for top two. And like I said, the budget's nowhere near uh, some of the other clubs up there. So I'm just happy to be competing for the six. But while it's there, you know, the gap's pretty small. So completely unnecessary dig at Reading there. I don't know. <laughs> or, Black, or Blackburn. Like everyone uses 7-0 <laughs> to Fulham, don't they? I'm terrified of that game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not bad. And and one of the things that Fulham and the other guys in the top three have that you don't seem to have is a prolific striker. You're doing all of this and nobody in your team has over six goals, I think. Yeah, I think if we if we are talking about Fulham, I see, I can't see how a team they've just got 70 goals already, haven't they? I yeah. don't see how I don't see how a team that can do that isn't just gonna basically ride off into the sunset and win the league now. Um, scored seven and six and six again last week, didn't they? So they're a bit of a nonsense. Um, I've kind of given up on on them. Um, strikers have been a problem for QPR for a while. Um, our financial collapse and having to get our house in order after spending silly money with Redknapp and Hughes and people like that coincided also with teams like Villa and Newcastle coming into the championship and the effect of them and one or two others being here, particularly with strikers, just drove the market for strikers at this level completely bananas. So it's subsided a little bit now with COVID and whatever, but at one point, you, 8 million quid, you were seeing like Jordan Hooger went for 8 million and Kenneth Sahor, Gary Medine. Jonathan Kadidja, Scott Hogan, you know, eight to 10 million pounds for just sort of bog standard championship strikers really. And QPR were in no position to, to compete in that, um, the state we got ourselves into. So for a long time, we were relying on loans um, and some of those went okay, like, like Naki Wells and some of them, you know, were Tom Ahmed. So we've, spent a long time cleaning house and getting ourselves into a position where we can actually own strikers and we do own two strikers of our own now charlie austin who's obviously not the player he was but still good for a goal and lyndon dykes who is a bit of a project i think you could kindly describe him as um ropey form at the moment but was doing well at the start of the season and we've got andre gray on loan although he's um on internationals this weekend so just Owning strikers of any sort was a challenge for us. And the ones we've got now, you know, they're not Mitrovic. Um, but we, we only three teams have scored more than us this season. We get goals from from all over the pitch, really. Um, not so much of late with Ilias Chair going off to AFCON. Um, 
but yeah, it hasn't been it hasn't been a problem so far. Although it's just it's starting to creep up on us a little bit. I think we've scored one goal in five home games now, and that was offside. So there there are concerns around that at the minute. Uh, yeah, I mean, a little bit of housekeeping. Obviously, you, you mentioned there that uh, Elias Chair is off with uh, Morocco and uh, whoever it is. Andre Gray off with Jamaica. Anyone else? Um... Seni Dieng is still away with Senegal. Um, Jordan Archer did replace him initially and then broke his shoulder, saving a penalty against Rotherham in a sort of typical QPR moment. Uh, so we've ended up with David Marshall in goal. He's played very well so far. I actually think, I mean, like no disrespect meant to Jordan Archer really, but he's not a goalkeeper I particularly rate. I think we might have had a bit of a touch with with his misfortune. It's, it's sad for him, obviously, but um, Marshall's a better goalkeeper, I think, and has played well since he came in. Well, uh, you know, I think I think Reading only have um, one one person out. Um, Junior Hoylet's off to Canada, but you know, one person in our squad can make uh, quite a big difference at the minute. Uh, there's a uh, there's not many of them, as you say. Like uh, I'd love to be in Scott Parker and, and Bournemouth's position uh, of having that tiny squad available. Yeah, than, it's such uh, a, thin, yeah a thin squad. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. take. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like we've kind of touched on it. Uh, but where do you think that QPR can finish this season? Like, where would I know you keep saying you'd be happy with playoffs, but would you be happy literally just to be in them? Or, or... I'd be ecstatic just to be in them. I think it's such a it would be such a huge achievement given where we've come from and what we're the tools we've got to do the job. Um, you look at the mess that Warburton inherited and the players he's had to lose during that period. You know. Right, I say Samuel Eze, Luke Freeman, all of these players who you'd consider would be our were our best players at, at one point or another have all gone and the team's got better and better. So just to make the playoffs would be a fantastic achievement. Um, I said at the start of the season, I thought we'd finish fifth and I, I can't really change my mind now because that's we've basically kicked around there all season. Um, I'm not sure, like I say, I'm not sure we've got enough to push it over the line into an actual promotion, but just to, just to be up there and, you know, Competing, winning games, looking good doing it, playing the kind of football we're playing, all of that is just such an achievement considering where we've been um, and and the tools we've got to do the job. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be ecstatic just to make a player. And, like, um, obviously with those guys off, um, Elias Chair obviously is one of the players that everyone kind of talks about when you see QPR. Who, who should we be looking out for this weekend in his stead? Um, obviously, like Chris Willock's putting up numbers um, and always looks good whenever we see him. Yeah, Chris Willock's um, very, very good. Uh, it's a lot of pressure on him with Chair being gone. Uh, when when Chair's here, he can go on one side and Willock can go on the other and it stretches opposition defences. It stops them doubling and tripling up on either one of them, really. And then they, get, they have the space to, to do what they want. So without Chair, uh, Willock is finding himself where well, he's, he's basically he's been kicked from pillar to post in the last couple of games and he did actually go off injured with 10 minutes left the other night so we're hoping that he's fine for Saturday um, but he is sort of writing the theme tune and singing the theme tune a little bit for us now they tried uh, to get Tom Lawrence from Derby take advantage of their financial situation but I just think the money is on there is just so ridiculous that that's a non-starter and they're now trying to get Jamie Patterson from Swansea um, to try and provide a little bit more, uh, a little bit more 
attacking uh, impetus behind the strikers because, like I said, we did, we have missed that a little bit since Ilias has been gone. And apart from that, um, the back three are, are pretty formidable. Jimmy Dunn's been a great signing from Burnley and Rob Dickey, who you guys released, obviously. Um, and Johan Barbe's playing really well. So, yeah, that's been, that's been a real strength that since we switched to the back three. Those three centre-backs have been great. I haven't seen any Rob Dickey wonder strikes in a while, which in, in one way makes me happy because it's I don't have to read on Reading Twitter about how we shouldn't have let him go every week. And in the other, I mean, he can hit a ball. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that's just, it was an easy thing to stop, right? I think it, it happened three times in the first week of the season. Everybody that's done a video, everyone that's done a video review of QPR, every opposition scout would have just gone straight away. Well, don't let him do that for a start. Uh, so <laughs> you get like as, as soon as he crosses the halfway line, now people do stuff about it. But you know, all three of our defenders can play. That's that's how Warburton likes it. That's how we recruit. So you'll see him crossing the halfway line and attempting all sorts of maverick diagonal uh, crossfield balls and whatever. They always come off. But if they always if they could do it 100 percent of the time, they wouldn't be playing for QPR, would they? <laughs> Well, no, that's how, that's how I feel about a lot of Reading players as well. Talent is clearly there, but consistency may be a little bit lacking sometimes. Yeah. Um, one final question is, what do you think the score is going to be? Makes me nervous, you know, because obviously we're, we're, we're going to be heavy favourites just with the form that you guys have been in, the amount of goals you've been conceding, the form that we've been in, league table, home team and all of that. Um and QPR never. I, it's always scary when QPR are favourites. It's not. It's not something that sits comfortably with us. Um, so I am nervous about it. Um, Reading have got players, particularly Swift, who just always seems to play unbelievably well against us. Um, I don't know what it is about. I know he's a good player, but we we make him look like just absolutely out of this world. So. Yeah, I'm nervous about it. I'll take any kind of win, like scrappy, horrible. Yeah, I, I wouldn't like to venture a, a prediction because <laughs> I'm afraid of cursing it. But yeah, QPR rarely do well when they're favourites and Reading do have players that we really don't like playing against. So I am slightly nervous about it. Yeah, I think look, after our last game against Huddersfield, a 4-3 a loss, I, I think I'll go... A high-scoring draw, something like a two-two or a three-three. Again, hopefully not in the same manner as last time because that was a bit <laughs> heartbreaking. But uh, maybe the other way around this time. Well, I hope not. Obviously, <laughs> but yeah, good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you you don't you guys don't really need luck. I don't. Uh, Reading do need all the luck at this point. So uh, yeah, good luck to Reading, and uh, thanks very much for joining us, Clive. Um, I do hope that QPR go on and, and do something just to shut Fulham and Bournemouth fans up more than anything. But, uh, you know, it's it's nice to have the uh, short away trip in the championship anyway. So so as long as you're here next year, that, that, that'll be good. <laughs> well, again, obviously, I hope not. But we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks very much, Clive. Cheers, man.